This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Super Tuesday 2020 is in the books. It's not just for presidentials. Uh, it's for congressional candidates also. And we are going to talk about those congressional candidates. But we would uh, be negligent if we didn't note that Joe Biden had a pretty good night. Bernie Sanders had not as great a night, but still racked up a lot of delegates. And this prompted Mike Bloomberg, uh, who had spent upwards of $600 million on his presidential campaign, banking a lot of it on a good finish on Super Tuesday, to drop out of the race and endorse Biden. So let's quickly talk about the presidential race with Herb Jackson, CQ Roll Call's politics editor, and then we'll, we'll go through some of the highlights of the congressional stuff, too. Herb. Welcome. Sleep-deprived Herb, I might add. Good morning. <laughs> is, is it a good morning? Because you've, you've been up for most of the morning since it actually turned into a morning. The CMS is a four-letter word in my <laughs> office. So, Herb, let's talk about the biggest news uh, just of the recent morning, uh, the morning after, if you will. Uh, Not-so-super Wednesday, we, uh, we call it, uh, right? Uh, and that's that Mike Bloomberg has dropped out. He is going to – or he end has endorsed Joe Biden for president – uh, this is obviously, a, you know, a series of shots in the arm for Joe Biden since he won South Carolina's primaries just over the weekend. Um, and also, one of the things that we were just chatting about a little bit in the newsroom is that Mike Bloomberg spent, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in the 2018 race helping Democrats win, uh, particularly in the House. Now he has said that he is going to continue to make sure that Donald Trump uh, is not reelected uh, from his vantage point. Is this a good news? Is this good news for Democrats running for House and Senate seats? Yeah, I mean, as as best as they can hope for, uh, they're they're probably going to have to still deal with the same problem that they had to deal with four years ago, which is Senator Sanders and the, and the presumptive front runner now. I guess we would call Joe Biden that are still going to have to work it out, just as uh, Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders had to work it out in 2016, and it's a challenge for Biden. But the rest of the field seems to have gotten out of the way. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is still running. Tulsi Gabbard is still running. But the question is going to be, you know, Biden versus uh, Sanders for the rest of the, the process here. And will either of them lock it up before the, they get to uh, Milwaukee in, ja in July? And the, with Warren, I mean, Warren finished third in Massachusetts, the state that she represents in the Senate behind Biden and, and Sanders. Um, I mean, to me, this shows the, the sort of remarkable turnaround for Biden in that he I mean, the, the talk before was that Bernie might humiliate her by by winning her state, Massachusetts, which is, you know, kind of close to Vermont. But still, I mean, it, it's her state. Uh, and now she finishes third behind two people, one of whom, you know, is, you know, not from Vermont <laughs> or, or Massachusetts in Joe Biden. Um, what does she get out of staying in the race? I'm not sure. But, you know, as far as humiliation goes, there's a lot of it going around to the political journalism class. I was watching uh, Delaware Senator Chris Coons on a TV monitor a few minutes ago. And I remember two weeks ago, he was the guy who had to go out there and say, no, Joe Biden's not dead yet. Right. Um, you know, and so you know, the Black Knight, uh, if you will. Yeah. You know. 
Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off. No, it isn't. It's a flesh wound. Yeah, and now he can go out and do a victory lap on that. I mean, I, I was not alone in thinking that, you know, going into last year, Elizabeth Warren gave you everything you wanted in Bernie without the socialist label. And you got a woman candidate. I thought that positioned her very well to be the be there in the end. Now I, I can't see it, but, you know, you should know by now, none of us know what we're talking about. Right. So one, one thing I'll note uh, about Super Tuesday uh, on, at the presidential level before we transition to talking about the, uh, the, the congressional races was that in 1988, you know, Super Tuesday was born out of a you know the, out of concern that uh, among particularly conservative Democrats, Southern Democrats, that the liberal wing of the party had too much sway. That's how we ended up with Mondale, and that they wanted to band together and have a bunch of Southern primaries so that the so that their block of the more moderate or centrist wing of the of the Democratic Party would have more sway in the nominating contest. They got Michael Dukakis that year <laughs> in 1988, so it did not quite work out the way that they had envisioned it in 1988. But over the years, um, I mean, because Super Tuesday changes in which which states actually vote. This this year, it seemed to work for them because the states that voted for Biden were primarily clustered in the South. Uh, you know, Virginia, North Carolina, Texas, Alabama. I mean, like these states provided him like the, a lot of the cushion with the delegates that he racked up on Super Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, especially Texas, because again prognosticators being what they are a couple weeks ago it was like nobody's going to be able to stop bernie because he's going to come out of texas so strong um you know there but there are things in the numbers again going off the, the exit polls which i had to watch on television to learn about um you know there were differences of which kinds of voters in the different states went for which candidate showing that you know if we keep talking about biden like he's how does he eventually lock it up um He's going to have to bring in the people on the Bernie side, younger voters. Some states, it's Latino voters. Um, how does he do that? Um, a lot of that goes to what Senator Sanders does. If if he looks like he's not going to make it, how does he bring his people along? Uh, so, yeah, but the, the, the system as clustering those primaries in a way that they could change the race did work, even though it didn't look like any of them were working in concert. Right. Um, all right. Congress. Uh, a couple of really, you know, sort of marquee congressional races, primaries at least, were settled on Tuesday evening. Uh, let's start with Alabama, where the, you know, the Republicans have just been kind of salivating over the chance to take on uh, Senator Doug Jones, a Democrat who uh, won his seat in a special election when Jeff Sessions became attorney general uh, against a, a, what could be charitably described as a flawed candidate in in Roy Moore, uh, the former Supreme Court, uh, Alabama Supreme Court justice. Um, this time around, Sessions wants his seat back. Uh, there was a... Uh, several candidate brawl for the primary sessions and former Auburn University uh, football coach Tommy Tuberville, who also went on to coach at Texas Tech and Cincinnati. He's not the, currently the coach uh, at, at Auburn, uh, but they're in a runoff and it's quick. It happens March 31st uh, between these two gentlemen and one of them will take on Doug Jones. Um, this this was 
I guess it's not a surprise so much that Sessions is in the runoff. It's just we've been kind of waiting what Trump's going to say about it because they didn't part on great terms. Right. And and from what I understand, I mean, the president did retweet something about positive about Tuberville and questioned uh, Sessions' loyalty this morning. Um, so that does not bode well for, for Senator Sessions coming back. Uh, but – you know, I don't know enough about Alabama voting and whether or not he actually has a core of followers. He did not come in first in the Republican primary. So there is going to be a runoff because none of them got 50%. Right. But the others in the field include uh, Congressman Bradley Byrne, who's, who gave up his seat to run, and Roy Moore again. <laughs> um, so there was a pretty, as you say, a crowded field, but Sessions is at least in the, lives to fight again. Right. Uh, and, you know, Republican senators seem to be pretty happy with Sessions, but, you know, we're talking Alabama and we're talking football. Right. Our friend and colleague, uh, Nathan Gonzalez at Inside Elections and uh, Roll Call's uh, elections analyst, he has rated Doug Jones as the most vulnerable uh, Senate incumbent uh, and and is in danger of losing his seat, you know, and it it will be interesting if – if Sessions were were to win, I mean, then that's a big if. What the president's effect would be, <laughs> if it like what the president would do, would he just like sort of ignore Alabama? No, uh, no. If, well, if the president's record is anything to to you know passed as any pr- prediction, the president loses a primary and immediately backs the other guy and pretends he didn't lose. So, but it seems so personal with Sessions. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it, it's kind of amazing. And then, okay, so uh, North Carolina also big uh, prime Senate primary. Uh, Democrats think that Tom Tillis, the Republican incumbent, is quite vulnerable. Um, Nathan agrees <laughs> with, with that assessment, uh, although not as vulnerable as somebody like Doug Jones. And the Democrats, the the uh, Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, got their preferred candidate, a guy named Cal Cunningham, who's an Army veteran. He stacks up well against somebody like Tillis, even though the NRSC spent money to boost his opponent, a more liberal. Uh, yeah, this is yeah. this is one of those little like games they play. Right. And they said that Chuck Schumer thought of it first, the right. Democratic Senate. Uh, by by boosting leader. Todd Aiken in 2012 against yeah, Tom McCaskill. Right. But essentially, they put money into a, you know, a, a nameless super PAC that, uh, you know, ran ads supporting a, a Democratic candidate saying she's the true progressive you know, she got, I think, about a third of the vote in Cunningham. It was it was called very early. I think AP called it with 4% of the vote in. So there must have been something they saw in the exit polls that said Cunningham was going to get it. I mean, Tillis's weakness was more pronounced at the beginning of the year because there was a guy named Garland Tucker who was spending his own money um, running. Uh, maybe, maybe the end of last year. He got out in December uh, saying that he he couldn't get his message across because impeachment was taking up too much of the airwaves. So Tillis – and then just this past week, Trump was down there and did a rally where, where Tillis was there. Tillis, who had you know not especially been uh, complimentary of the president in the first couple of years, has now become a staunch defender as we've seen happen with so many Republicans around this, uh, the town. So – you know, I would say Tillis's opportunity is, is better, especially since Cunningham had a, a lot of money that he had to spend to fend off that challenge. Um, he'll have to make it back. But I, it's also the case that if it looks like that's a place to pick up a Senate seat, money won't be a problem. There will be money coming from everywhere. Mike Bloomberg will be spending money in North Carolina. Well, and also I've always been amused at this, like, oh, you can't have people spend money in the primary. But – if they are spending money in the primary, 
um, and then they win, that just means that there's more organization, more name recognition. People tend to tune into competitive races and tune out non-competitive races, like in general, it's just human nature, right? And, and I haven't had a chance to study it, so I, this could be a little miscu miscu a little off, but about a half a million more Democrats voted in the North Carolina primary yesterday than Republicans in the Senate primary. Now, Tillis really didn't have a challenge, but that I look back at 2016 last night, and there in the presidential primary, it was almost even. It was about 1.1, 1.2 million for Clinton and for Trump. Um, but, you know, a half a million more Democrats went out and voted in North Carolina yesterday or voted by mail before that than voted for the Republican. So does that mean that there's that much of an advantage for Cunningham? I mean, there's certainly energy there. Uh, in Texas, the it looks like I mean the the the, the Senate primary for the Democrats the, the for the opportunity to take on John Cornyn, uh, who's the incumbent Republican senator running, uh, is is not settled on who the two opponents will be. We do know that M J Hagar, uh, who it was the DSCC's uh, you know like their preferred candidate, will be one part of that runoff uh, at this point. She lost a, a House race in 2018, but has this sort of compelling biography and story. She She's the uh, uh, military veteran and so forth. She stacks up – the Democrats think she stacks up well against Cornyn. Uh, and also that it seems like there's going to be – by look of how many people voted in Texas yesterday in, in, in competitive primaries and so forth, that this could be, this could be a, a race that goes down to the wire even though it's not the most competitive race. Right. right and now. what the Texans are, are – are Texas Democrats in, and the Democrats here in Washington keep saying about Texas is look at how Beto O'Rourke almost took out Ted Cruz in 2018. You know, the Beto came, I think, within three or four points of knocking Ted mm -hmm. Cruz out. Um, and it, it was one of those things that said, hey, maybe Texas is in play. We've been hearing that a lot. I mean, one of the first places you heard that was about a, a state legislator named Wendy Davis. Mm -hmm. She now has actually won a primary and she's going to be a candidate for the House. Right. Previously um, a candidate for governor who lost to, to Greg Abbott. But yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so there are Democrats, you know, but the thing that Democrats need to deal with is the same thing they have to deal with on the presidential scale, which is what is the Democrat in, you know, running in 2020 talking about? Are you pushing free health care and free college education and a crisis in the climate that makes us all have to change the way we live, an urgency, which is what the Sanders people want. Or are you pushing, we need to stop Trump, he's wrong, give me somebody reasonable and I'll stop putting all those people on the courts. Which one is the one that Democrats win with? Right. And, you know, it, it's interesting that the two uh, House races that we were tuned into the most, uh, one was a competitive uh, primary uh, in the Fort Worth area that were Kay Granger, who's the the longest serving uh, woman in the Republican woman in the House. She was fending off a primary uh, challenger and did. And she won. Uh, she got the president's endorsement. Uh, but that was a sort of a steady as you go. You know, our, our colleague Bridget Bowman went down there, talked to people and people were like, well, one, it's good enough that Trump likes her. And also, I kind of like the stuff she brings to the district. I like bridges. I like the fact that my son has a job at Boeing. Yeah, like, the, you know, the, the great, like quote, the great right. quote she had was the guy saying, well, I do believe in term limits and she's been there a long time, but my son has a job at uh, Lockheed. Yeah, or Lockheed, yeah, yeah. not Boeing. <laughs> yeah, um, and then in for the Democrats, it was Henry Cuellar, who is in the Blue Dog Caucus. He's 
um, you know, he, he's a sort of an older bull in in the house now, and he was fending off uh, a, a sort of an insurgent, you know, like Sanders type, you know, uh, challenger, uh, and and he won. They both won. Both incumbents won. Uh, and it does seem to say like, well, maybe people just when they feel comfortable with a candidate, re- you know, regardless of whether it's, you know, like what party they come from, they they were going to have that edge. Well, I mean, regardless when, of the policies. When you listen to Elizabeth Warren in the debates, one of the things she talked about was the money class, the 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 the, the establishment that that could control the agenda on both in both parties. Um, and you know, to a degree, Quayar was supported by the Chamber of Commerce and other groups that tend to mostly favor Republicans, he might have been in the face of that for people who support the Sanders-Warren uh, wing down in that district. Um, but, you know, you have to, a, a revolution doesn't just come because you convince people of your better ideas. A re- revolution comes because people feel that they're not, there's no other choice for them, right. that they have to revolt and put something of their own on the line to get the revolution. And if you haven't convinced people that, that they, that's what they have to do, you have a much higher hill to clear. Well, we have uh, we still have a long way to go uh, in in this primary season. We uh, the congressional primaries are going to start picking up now uh, that we have the first batch of them through uh, Illinois is later on this month. That's a it's going to be a lot of competitive house races as well as the presidential. I mean, this thing is not over by a long shot. Uh, and we'll uh, we're I guess we're just going to have a lot more of these uh, sleepless nights early early mornings. God help me. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, thanks for uh, walking us through this, Herb. Sure. Glad to be here. And thank you for listening to this podcast. You can catch up on previous episodes on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Please subscribe and please tell your friends and family and colleagues. Thanks for listening again. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.